thanks uh, to Jen for coming in once again to, to help us host a really, what's promising, I'm sure, to be a really interesting and lively discussion. It's always really great to work with you and um, for archives, so thank you so much for hosting tonight. Um, and I'll hand over to you and um, let's see what we get into. Hi, good evening everybody. Thank you very much for sticking around after the screening. I was just curious, have, have many of you seen the film before? Or is some of you coming to the film for the first time? Okay. So we hope to have a lively discussion about uh, some, of the, some of the themes within this very complicated, beautiful film. Um, but I'll start by just introducing my, myself and my lovely panel. <laughs> um, I'm Jana Sante. I'm the curator of Black Cultural Archives Film Festival. Hopefully you know Black Cultural Archives. They're situated in Brixton and Windrush Square, and it's the nation's first dedicated black heritage site in, in the UK. So we've had the film festival since 2014, um, and we were really fortunate to have Second Coming as the opening night film of our 2015 festival. So that's that would offer a bit of background on the film. Um, I wanted to introduce my lovely uh, panel here. Uh, we're down one panelist. She may join us. Uh, it's Tegra Keating. and she's the uh, curator of the film festival, of Unbound Film Festival overall. So hopefully she might come and join us. But if not, we have a uh, start with Akua here. I'll read her official bio if she wants to add anything else. <laughs> but we have Akua Jamfi here, and Akua is a journalist, scriptwriter, and founder of the British Blacklist an online portal chronicling the careers of professionals from film, television, theatre, literature and music alongside daily news updates across the entertainment industry. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, that's okay. okay. All right, and to my left we have Bee Manzini. Uh, Bee's writing practice spans poetry, theatre, journalism and film. Residencies and commissions include Hoxton Hall, Immediate Theatre and the Southbank Centre, as well as featuring in numerous publications and more recently online at the British Blacklist. She's a writer at the British Blacklist as well. Her films have screened as part of the BFI Love Festivals, Apples and Snakes, Picture House Cinemas, and in various festivals in the UK and abroad. And B supports and screens the work of black actors and directors through the Caramel Film Club. So thank you, B and Akua, for being here. Um, I wanted to talk about my relationship, I guess, with this film, with Second Coming, via Black Cultural Archives Film Festival. As I said, we were really fortunate to be contacted by uh, Channel 4, Film 4, um, just ahead of the film's official release in 2015. And I think in part because they believed in the film and they thought it was an exceptional work, and also in part because the film was so exceptional that they didn't know what to do with it. So I think they wanted us to help them find an audience for the film. And so we had the film and were really pleased to have I had a Q&A with the film's lead actress, Nadine Marshall, who plays Jax in the film. Um, so we opened in Brixton uh, in the summer of 2015. Uh, and the most striking thing that I remember Nadine Marshall saying to me in the screening was that each of the actors, everyone working on the film, on, on playwright and director and writer Debbie Tucker Green's film, uh, really believed in the work and they immediately thought it was an exceptional piece of work when they received the script but they didn't really believe that it would come to fruition because it was so exceptional that they didn't actually think it would be made and that to me struck me as kind of tragic especially with some of the star power on the film Idris Elba and subsequently we were screening the, we were premiering the film that night launch night of our festival the opening official launch night of opening night of the fest of the film itself but this film could not, did not get any official release in this country. 
It screened for one night at the Ritzy and toured around picture houses within the span of one week, but it did not play for even a week at any cinema in this country. So bar festival and one-off screenings, very few people have actually seen this film. And so I think Film 4 subs subsequently put their effort into screening it on Channel 4, so I think it's screened twice. Mm -hmm. But sadly, yeah, a lot of people just still don't know that this kind of special, exceptional film exists. So that's kind of where I wanted to lead into talking about this film and why a film like this has struggled to find an audience. Um, but I wanted to open it out to Akua and B to kind of get your opening impressions. I know you're seeing it. It's new to you. I think we've, we've seen it a yeah. couple more times. So I actually want to start. I'll, I'll start with a fresh perspective. So please, your thoughts and feelings about seeing this film. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. Was exquisite. I think anyone has anyone here seen Debbie Tucker Green's theatre work? Mm -hmm. A few people, right? So. One of my things when I was coming to, to see the film for the first time was, is she going to keep all of the nuances in terms of language that she uses? And that's very unique to her and that I absolutely love. And she does this beautiful thing where she, she puts in juxtaposition, kind of using ebonical language and this kind of repetitive staccato, you know, musicalness that she has. She's an absolute maestro and it was beautiful to see that in the film. And I think that her playing on oppositional things is really, really interesting. So the fact that we have this almost mystical story, this woman has suddenly become pregnant in this very magical way, but it's all steeped in a very realistic situation. So a situation where I'm hearing, you know, music from the soundtrack of my life, I'm hearing <laughs> Ty, and I'm hearing Omar, and I'm hearing Jill Scott, and all of those nuances. Um, you know, I'm seeing cassava and green banana mm -hmm. and what have you. So she, she manages to do this thing that I think is so unique. And, and I think I've only seen her do it successfully. So the fact that you're saying that it, it didn't get any release dates mm -hmm. is absolutely tragic, mm -hmm. I think, because I think it's an exceptional piece of work. You said everything I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> everything, because um, watching it the second time around, I, I think I was at the point. I think I was at the door yeah. the screen, yeah. So watching the second time around, um, it's even more emotional, and it's you get it, it, it. For me, I was sucked in to the moments, and it's the relation. The, the what's it re relating to the things that are happening and seeing Idris Elba. Everyone's like, oh, it's Idris, it's Idris. But in this moment, he's like a bit regular black man that we all know, because we all know good-looking men that's in our community but they're just in a family setting and a you know, regular woman, regular man, living life normally, going through these things, this abnormal thing has happened, but the way, just pre leading up to before it all went pear-shaped, their nuances, their, their interactions, even him being, even this is about women in, in as well, um, Nadine Marshall's character being the central focus, it, she played off so nicely against Idris, showing that black love that's not forced, not fake, not, drama filled, even though there's this thing happened, it wasn't angriness and or even over sexual, even the sex moment, the sexual moments between them were so loving. I, I, couldn't, I, I could write a poem, I could write a story. <laughs> I want to sing about it. It's one of those things that I want everybody to see. It's kind of one of those things like, look, this is how we are. This, we're not anything else, but this is how we are in the moments. And as you said, the little blackisms, mm -hmm. 
it's so important, and she and Debbie, uh, her plays I've seen, her even reading her scripts, it's minimalist. We don't say everything. We don't have to say every single word. We see when when you're creative, sometimes we feel like we have to say everything. Like, nah, you get me. This, this, and it has to be every single word on top of each other. She gives you space to breathe. Give space for emotion. She, oh, anyway, let me show you. Cause ask the next question. Go on. <laughs> but I love. It's an important film. Yeah, I wanted to come back to, to something that you just pointed out about the normalcy, the seeming normalcy of it, whilst kind of watching it and realizing that this is quite exceptional because you're not really. We haven't been accustomed to seeing films like this mm -hmm. or portraits like this of black families in particular mm -hmm. in British cinema. So it's an exceptional work that's feels very familiar at, at the same time in many respects. So I wanted to, to kind of, when we put the film in into the film festival, into Black Cultural Archives Film Festival, it's trying to find the right uh, kind of chapter to program it within, and it ended up living within a chapter called Love, but Love with a question mark, which kind of confused everybody. Well, what kind of love? What do you mean? And I just, it was a way to talk about a family drama and the idea of, of a certain wholeness in family life that we haven't necessarily seen very often. And I was thinking about how a film like this relates to what we've seen in the past 40 years of black British cinema. And I was, has anyone, has anyone in here seen um, Horace Ove's Pressure? It's a film from about 1976, made by a Trinidadian filmmaker, real pioneering filmmaker, but it's about a Caribbean family who are settled in the UK. And it's just, it really gives you this very intimate sense of their life. And it's that sense of intimacy that I think Second Coming also has. Also, I think, I think Burning Illusion as well. Yeah, that, by Menelik Chagas. Yeah, that yeah. film, I, I remember, I think, I think I wrote a review, and again, it was the them having a conversation while he's in the bathroom, and, and they're together, and then there's the cream and going down the market, and those yeah. things Every that day round day. out our narrative and just their ups and downs but they weren't it wasn't f again it's that not forcefulness mm -hmm. not f imposing this impression of what black should be and how we are it's just like yeah, that yeah. an ex exhalation <laughs> and it's just the idea that you said about not imposing the idea or the notion of what people think black life is mm. kind of by paint by numbers and j again just to talk about this time span of, of, of black british cinema 40-year time span that has mainly be been filmed with urban drama, gritty narrative centered around male lives and gang violence, largely. Mm -hmm. and, and the absence of family life within mm -hmm. that, the absence of love, the absence of intimacy, the absence of protected children, the absence of family spaces. And, and Second Coming seems really special in that <coughs> what we see is, especially with, with the characters, mother, father, child, constantly protected by grandparents, by family friends, by godparents. Mm -hmm. And just watching it for the first time, I was just, I was almost doing a checklist mm -hmm. of all the things. What am I seeing? What, what am I not accustomed to seeing? And why is, it so, why is it speaking to me in such a way that is very, and I keep on coming back to exceptional, and I shouldn't really have to <laughs> use the word so often, but it just kind of tends, the film feels like it sits in isolation, which is a bit of a sad thing, mm -hmm. but a special thing. So what, what did, did you think about that? I think it, do, it definitely does sit in isolation and I think it's a problem, I mean even in terms of the parallels that you were talking about, it's in the 70s and the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about this huge 
Times fan. I mean, I was here when um, Desmond's, the first episode of Desmond's was being celebrated and being shown. It's about um, a black, uh, black star, star, black star, yeah, yeah, black star. star. which happened last year. And we're talking decades and decades ago, and we're still harking back to that because nothing has filled and occupied that space. There seems to be a major problem in this country of showing a black woman and a black male in oh, a functional, God. intimate mm. relationship. Um, and it's not that there weren't issues and there weren't problems in it, but yeah. he was resolute in his love for her. And that is something that's really rare to the point that I was like, this should have cost me. But it <laughs> 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 I, I could have done it. I could have been mixed to interest. Right? <laughs> like the role. Because you know, yeah. you're so deprived of seeing it, you're just like, yeah, I could yeah. do it. And the gentleness, I think that's the thing, is the gentleness. And he's still a man. Yeah. And this is takeaway with Idris. It's the fact that he's still a man in his moment, the alpha male in the house, the son's got his dad to look up to, even with the tender moments between the man and his son. That was, you know, well, I'm, I'm a daughter, but looking at that, it's like, yeah, dad. You know, that kind of, you know, dad, the husband, the missing brother, that kind of missing father figure that they like to ram down our throats as it's a missing gap in the black family. He reinforced, filled that gap so neatly every position, the brother that's not in a gang, the husband that's there present for his wife, the dad that's there for his son. Everything's filled in that film. And I think that's why when you've got that narrative that, I mean, when you're saying that I'm trying to didn't know what to do with it, why don't you know what to do with it? Because you've got, you're stuck in your head of this perception of what a black family is or what black existence is. So how do we market this? Is it, apart from the fact that maybe it crosses lines, whether it's a love story or a thriller or a horror or something like that, and it's very indie, but it's not yeah. hard to sell. Well, I mean, essentially, it was interesting for us having the conversations with Channel Four, and also trying to to get some engagement from the the maker of the film herself, Debbie Sattergreen. She doesn't. It was a yeah. She's she's if anyone's familiar, she's kind of infamously reclusive. She doesn't really do interviews. She doesn't do any. She puts the work out there, and the work will speak for itself. Which which on the one hand, as an artist, I respect, mm -hmm. and actually as a politic. From the view, from the political view of a black artist in the West, I kind of understand in terms of creating something that she doesn't want to have to justify. She just puts the work out there, make of it what you will, and essentially she's telling human stories. So uh, we got the impression via our conversations with, with the distributors and such that she wasn't interested in coming out to kind of be the front person who was being marketed as a black family drama. So I don't know whether that probably poses an, an additional challenge for marketing teams, but I, I... From a journalism perspective, I think the amount of times I've said, I just want to speak to Debbie. <laughs> just, yeah. I remember I worked at the BBC and she w had a good relationship with my manager because I worked at BBC Writers Room at one point. And um, I remember her coming in, and this is before I was even in what I do now, so, but I, I recognised her coming in. She spoke to my manager a lot. Um, and she was just a really nice, lovely woman. And I didn't know she had this, I had this legacy. Um, but I understand her wanting to protect herself because I think you leave yourself open then you're going to have people telling you what to do and controlling your narrative and t dictating how you should do this so I understand it but from a journalist perspective who just wants to speak to someone who's a genius who one of the best voices I think in our time it's frustrating <laughs> Also, that thing of being misconstrued. So the yeah. way that journalists, I mean, yeah. we try not to and have integrity. We but don't have the British We don't do that. <laughs> but take a headline and kind of then that's the thing. Yeah. And you have to deal with that headline as an artist. And she probably doesn't even want to you know, go through that or do that.
Mm. Especially because she's dealing with subject matters that generally aren't dealt with. Mm. I actually think, just talking about her as an artist and her kind of, what we don't know about her, and that she kind of puts onto the screen or onto the stage, and how that relates to her use of magic or magic realism in this in this film. I mean, we see it's not necessarily it's a linear narrative that you can kind of follow, but the elements like the water and all of the the symbols that occur in this film. Um, there's an interesting piece in in a, the BFI Sight and Sound magazine, I think, this month about black women's stories on film and myth and not so much the supernatural, but the space of myth and magic in telling stories about other worlds or people who live outside the margins and how that can be a really um, powerful device in speaking towards somewhat alternate realities. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting to see a British and black filmmaker and a woman filmmaker use that approach in creating this work. And I think there's so. I, I wanted to talk to you about what you feel the main themes are in this film because the more I watch it, the more complicated it gets. I initially thought it was a film more about intimacy, and then then also about loss, and then also about conception, then also about pos possibly about immaculate conception, mm -hmm. and then I started getting into this conspiracy theory. And just, I mean, <laughs> even with with the characters themselves, and I was trying to get this out of Nadine Marshall when I was talking to her on on the the night that we screened the film just kind of the codes that an artist might put in their work. I mean, we have our main characters. We have Jackie, Jax, and Mark, and Jerome, J and J, expecting a, a child in immaculate conception. So we've got Jesus, Mary, and Joseph yeah. expecting. And, and she didn't, the actress didn't say it wasn't true, by the way. Yeah. But she said that Debbie Tuffy Green doesn't give away a lot on set. So it was like, oh, might be, might not be. And, that, and that's the beauty of it, because you don't really know. And I don't think anything was quite clear, so it left you lots of room to kind of interpret it. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm talking too much. Please jump in. And anyone else want to ask questions yeah. as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. What does it represent? So many things. Well, for me, it's definitely love. It is a love story. Um, it's the reinforcement of the black family. Um, even the generational dynamics. I love the uh, mum and dad. I love that intimacy, and it's very, and I'm West African, I'm Ghanaian, but it's, for me it's a very Caribbean film, as much as I it's a very Caribbean film, um, this very much like, that's why it reminds me more of, um, of Burning Illusion, so the, I grew up with Caribbean friends, so I see that, so I saw mum and dad and then grandma and granddad in the family dynamic and the protection, and then that irritating sister, <laughs> me and my sister have argued like that, and all, like, just that, and then the best friend, I, I think again, my at the time when I watched it, I loved the way the best friends dynamic was because that's mm -hmm. so real. We, as sisters, were like, you know, you're getting on my nerves, F off, F off, you F off, you F off, and then I'm not speaking to you, don't speak, but then you could just squash it with a thing. And even when you're vexed with each other, you're still there for each other. And you turn up, it's just, um, so it's friendships, love, relationships, generational, and the power, I think the power and the strength of the black family unit, um, it's powerful, so it's power as well. I think, having seen it for the first time and still kind of absorbing it, I think for me, above anything else, it's about resilience. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is about resilience. And I think that, you know, Mark, his love for Jax yeah. and how resilient he was in that. Even at the end and you realise that they're not together, but he's still there and he still loves her and he's still appreciating her. 
Well, they separated, but he's coming back. They kind of gone their separate ways, but he still wants her, and he still wants. And she loves her, yeah. yeah. And he is still concerned, and he's still present. You know, he's still very much present. So for me, I think it's about resilience. It's about her resilience dealing with this. I mean, how can you even fathom that kind of experience? Of and uh, you're right. And her be still being in the world and moving on with her life. So I think, yeah, that was the central. That was definitely the central thing for me. I wanted to kind of zone in on the idea of the female lead. The, I mean, you know, strong female lead is bandied about, <laughs> and especially now we're talking about Bechdel tests and kind of looking at films to see what kind of roles they're giving to women. So I find this to be a really, um, it's a remarkable role. One, in that the lead is not apologetic. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing, and we had a com- oh, sorry, we had a conversation at one point, I think, about the likability. I'm sure you were saying, is it you? Not Whether sure. she's likable or not. I, I was didn't talking have that to. But okay. Oh, well, if she's like, yeah, there is that. Yeah. Often she's frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah often you talk about yeah. kind of women in film, mm. and people often want them to be likable, mm-hmm. and the idea that you have to be a heroine and, and, and you know that the kind damsel of damsel in distress yeah. and doesn't yeah. necessarily give you the, the, the free terrain to be complicated mm. and, and unlikable. So I was interested in the idea of whether how you found our lead female to be, as we're in this space talking about women and the black feminine on screen, what was your response to Jax as a character? I mean, once I got over the fact that she said no to Idris, I was like, okay, settle, <laughs> settle in, settle in to the film. Um, I, I think for me she was really dense, you know, as a as a personality, and I actually enjoyed her. I didn't find her unlikable. I thought she was in a position not of her making because I took it as an immaculate conception, mm-hmm. um, and she was doing the best that she could do in that position. I think it's really interesting how we look at black female characters and our expectations of them as well and what kind of roles they are given. So I think for me, one of the things that was really fresh about Jax is that she occupied a space that was that was complicated, but that was still relatable. Do you know what I mean? And she wasn't made into, I think black women are often hypersexualized. We are often the, the, the slave, the maid, Desperate. all of those kind of, do you know what I mean? Downtrodden. I mean, even if you think of the Oscars and you think about Naomi Harris and Moonlight, she was the mum that was on drugs, when you think about Viola Davis, and I loved both of them, both of those movies, but very downtrodden. And I think Jax isn't. And as you said, I think she's unapologetic in the way that she manoeuvres in her life. And having that strong foundation of family is really, really important. Um, I liked her, but I think this is where I put my, projected myself onto her, is like, You've got this man, he loves you. Mm-hmm. Just talk to him. But in a reality, how do you tell someone that I'm pregnant? I By the way, know. and I don't know how. <laughs> it's never going to work. So that that's probably the most realist way you could it you would react because how am I going to explain to this man that I'm pregnant and it's not that I've been dipping out, out on him, I'm just pregnant. And he's there loving me unconditionally. And probably if I go into her mind as her character, she represents 
a woman that's got a man, a black woman that's got a man that loves her and sticking with her. So even the pressure on, on her, so that was real as well. The pressure on her to even, how am I gonna do this? Like, how many women would love to be in my position with this man, this God, and, he's, and my son, and we're all in this unit, so. But she frustrated me still, because I wanted her to just to say, look, this is what happened. I wanted her to talk, where black women, we always talk, but then at the same time, it shows the times when, there's times when you just can't talk because no one will hear you in the way that you need to be heard. So there's, again, that strong black woman narrative where we just keep going on. We put up our shields and then we just keep on moving. We don't talk because if we talk, we'll slit our wrists as she did because she couldn't talk. But that's, so she was, too, she was real. She was way too real in the sense that I didn't want that to happen in this film, but there's, a, there's another thing where, again, looking at the marketing and people might feel like, well, where's the Hollywood in this? There's no Hollywood in this. This is just real black story and um, so yeah I had those internal things but across the board she was relatable she was the sis she was the aunt she was the mum she's me she's you she's yeah she's, I know her I wanted to, to kind of ask you your thoughts about the function of silence in this film because I think almost probably about half of this film we sit in silence to the extent that silence becomes a character in this film and it's not common I mean it's not a common thing in cinema anyway so I wanted to ask you about that and how you feel that that works. And, and actually, before I just, and also relate it to the idea of death and rebirth, which the more I think about the film, the more those two ideas start to connect in this film. And, and you, you said something about, I don't know whether you're talking about what Jackie does in, in day to day. I mean, they work in DSSS office yeah, I think, yeah. and welfare office and just the idea about black a black female character two black female characters in this case who kind of take on the weight of the world in terms of working mm -hmm. in this job for the state to the extent that in their private lives they're very silent and the furthest manifestation of that is the, the suicide attempt mm -hmm. so and 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 I think that we see that idea of trauma manifesting far more in men's narratives because they've got the space to do it, even though the way in which we've probably seen it represented is a bit problematic because we're always seeing black males represented in British cinema. In, in, in violence, mm. yeah. So I'll just, I'm just so, so glad you said that. The idea that this film also is probably about violence as well, but a different kind of internalised violence outside of... As the family begins to, I don't know if I'm making, I hope I'm making sense. As the family begins to disintegrate, I mean, you see it in the fight that the child has at school. Mm. Things begin to get violent, but in an inward way, in a, that turns inward rather than turning external. So yeah, if you have any thoughts on, on that. I mean, when you talk about the violence, I actually, what flashed in my mind is the scene where um, Mark is talking to his son and he's telling him, and all you can see is yeah. the son's face, and he's seeing, he's hearing the argument, yeah. and the way that, yeah, the way that it shot was really phenomenal. But I found it one of the most heart wrenching moments mm -hmm. in the film. Mm -hmm. I thought that was that was so violent to me. That was such mm -hmm. a horrific thing to do to your child as a parent. For me, I was just like, my God, why would you want your child to be privy to that? So I just wanted to touch on that in terms of. Um, the violence did you have something to say no i was going to say something about that showed the closeness of the family though so the fact that it was very it, it was horrible as well and i think i heard you gasp like, yeah. and i i um wanted to cut 
Edition Slack because, again, that's a protection thing that women do for black men. We protect, we instantly defend him, um, but obviously he's in pain, but what he was doing was totally wrong. But at the same time, it showed how close the family was because that's his homie, his, you know, his son, his boy. And even when he wanted to say that he knew that the, um, his wife was pregnant, he told his son. He couldn't tell her first, he told his son. So the, his son is the, the... They're both their conduit for what they can't say to each other, they put in their son. So that the silence becomes the other child, in a sense, or, or maybe the silence is all the children that they lost before, and all the blessed, because he's their blessing, isn't he? So, oh. There's something that you just said, and just in terms of gender swaps, because I think this film is very yes. skillfully, yes. almost manipulative, mm. in that if, if we do think of Jackie as an unlikable character or an unrelenting character, it's usually something that's presented to us in a male form. Yeah. And so that particular scene, when you were talking, you just said something about um, you wanted to protect Idris. Mm. Because we, she's, she's Jack, uh, Debbie Tucker Green has given us this great father character. Mm. The marriage separate, but as a father and a protector and a carer, he's ever present. Mm. And it's not, there's no kind of equi equivocation, he's just there. Mm. And that makes us instantly kind of want to protect him. Maybe because he's so rare and because we haven't. Seen yeah, it before. you just want to make yeah. sure that you don't, because, oh my God, he's yeah. been there, so you'll. Yeah. Don't tell him off, but what he did was wrong. Also, I'm going to say, I think it's that... Um, oh, don't let me lose my train of thought. I lost it. It might come back. There's something that came... Oh, I might, it might come back. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the silence for me, I mean, in, in her theatrical work, she uses that trope as well quite a lot. Um, and, and this piece on many levels reminded me, and I'm going to get this wrong, a passionate, affectionate devotion and now which the is the last, last play yeah. the last play right yeah. I, I, I missed that yeah did anyone else see that it was at the royal did anyone, royal yeah, did royal anyone see that at the royal court mm -hmm. phenomenal piece of work but she she uses this idea of separation mm -hmm. and tension like all the time in her work mm. and 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 I, I suppose separation and togetherness because actually they've got this pull towards each other but they can't be together in the way that you would like to see them on screen in many, many, many ways. But I think to speak to the silence is a space where you can kind of put your own thoughts and narrative into the film, for me. Um, and I think that it's a really interesting way to give audience breathing space. And I think that's what she does really, really, really well. So you can kind of bring your own situation and your own narrative to it, in a sense. I think I was going to say that maybe the silence is being used as a as a way to critique also how families can can be that silence can be the, the killer and the break of a relationship. So I felt like it was also even though this fil it feels like a celebration of us this film, but and without her telling because she doesn't tell us off, she lets us make our own assumption. But I feel mm -hmm. like that was a little bit of silence can damage you guys if you don't talk if you don't find a way around that through that silence. I feel like it was also a weapon in that sense where, or something that could destroy what was so perfect if you don't deal with silence, because silence kills essentially, if you don't talk. So many things they say, if you don't talk up, there's going to be negative consequences. So maybe that's something that was in my head about the silence. Well, I wanted to kind of open it up to, to you guys to kind of, if you have any thoughts about any of the things we've talked about or observations of the film. But before that, I wanted to kind of close with, with Akura and B and just ask you, as this, we're talking about this specific film sitting within this season that's about 
the role that black women have as artists and filmmakers in making <coughs> cinema. I wanted to kind of get your perspectives on how you feel black women filmmakers, the role that black women filmmakers will have in evolving cinema, especially as now we're in a stage of very intersectional dialogues about race and gender and, and sexuality, everything happening at once. Mm -hmm. What particular insights do you think black women filmmakers will have in terms of pushing pushing the art form forward? And you as a filmmaker, mm. like your perspective on that. I mean, I think I've got a number of hopes for okay. black female filmmakers. And I guess when I'm looking at people like um, Cecilia Meke, and I'm looking at Aki and Saltfish or Schwoling, yeah. and the fact that she's occupying a space that's really unique. I mean, especially with Aki and Saltfish, mm. where you have two female characters that are bright and gregarious and, mm -hmm. and funny and engaging. And it's just the two of them on screen. And they're dealing with every, well, they're dealing with the lack of Aki and Saltfish in the area. <laughs> but apart from that, they're also dealing with everyday, you know, everyday things like relationships, trying to get tickets to go and see Beyonce, uh. all of those types of things. And I think that there's, there, I think what, especially the fact that it's now been on the BBC, I think what she's displaying is that we do have this space for the normalcy once again. And I'm really hoping that that will increase and increase rather than what is often the monolithic story, as I referenced before, of us being beaten down and downtrodden and anything else. And I'm not saying that those stories, or the slavery story, I'm not saying those stories aren't important, but what I'm saying is that there's room for other things. And I think what's Im important about strolling is the fact that it's documenting the diaspora, but not only in terms of the UK, but across Europe. And I think that that's quite a unique thing to do. So my hope for her is that, that, that she does more and that she does a feature one day. Um, Anna Sante, who um, I was lucky enough to interview, love her work. I think she is brilliant at what she does. Just to, to say for anyone who's not familiar with her work, Belle, Belle that came out in 2013. A, yeah, a United Kingdom. And the um, new one is... I forget the name of the new one. Oh, a forthcoming film. Oh, the first, that's first the first film. film. Yeah. What's the one coming mm -hmm. out? Yeah, but um, all of them have a similar theme in that they deal with either mixed race relationships or they basically don't have a black female protagonist at, at the front of it. And she's absolutely brilliant and I'm really hoping that she does a Beyonce and does her version of Formation and just comes out and has that film that is really representative of us. But when I interviewed her and I asked her, where are the, the women that look like me? And she said, the women that look like us. And I kind of got the eye. But I think what she was saying in that is, is it was about mining and finding the stories that were really interesting. So I'm hoping that in the future that, that she comes up with those stories. Akua? Same. <laughs> no, you, can't, same you can't way. get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is really literally the same thing. I'm, I, I hope that um, we're uh, fearless because I think we, um, I'm going to reference TV and American TV because I'm, I, I'm a Shonda fan who's angry at Shonda because I feel that Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes, yeah. yeah, I say it like she's my friend. Shonda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the homie. Um Baker, for anyone who doesn't Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, Anatomy, Scandal, Private Practice. How to get away with murder. How to get away with murder. Yeah. So 
Um, my thing is I, I want us to be brave and not be scared to tell stories about us. Um, and I don't know if, I'm not saying that Shonda is necessarily or anyone else is, but there's what I feel black men have done, black male filmmakers have done, not in, in the majority, there are a few that haven't done this. They put forward the either, a dynamic that light skin white is beautiful, black men and black women can't get along in a, just a normal way like Debbie's shown it. Um, I feel like some Shonda's product is amazing, but yet it's pushing this mixed race narrative that does away with the people that just are regular black people that love black people and are in those type of relationships. So Issa Rae stepped in nicely there with um, awkward, no, insecure, sorry. And awkward. And awkward, until yeah. the point. And then, so I just want us to be fearless. I want black and black male men and women creatives to be fearless and not be scared to tell the story. Because I think Debbie is absolutely representative of someone who's not scared. And whether she, if she hides away and it frustrates me, I'd rather she hide away and protect herself mm -hmm. and keep giving us these type of stories as inspiration and reason that your craft doesn't have to be compromised. You don't have to get all the awards and accolades. You can just do your stuff. Um, I know it's hard to pay bills like that, but there's got to be some sort of integrity that we keep towards our narrative. And um, we all have to support and dig deep and you know support platforms that are giving this shedding light on this con um, content, coming to events like this and spreading the word. You have to tell everybody about this film. Um, where it's available, I don't know if it's on B BFI Player. It's, it's on DVD and BFI Player. So yeah. this is the type of thing that you have to let everybody see because I mean, I want children, young people should see it. And I, even the, sorry, just to go back, the relationship between the boy and the girl, that, that was like a, the seedling of the next Jackson yeah. mark, you know? That, and that even when she let him down, and not in, Obliviously, she didn't mean to let him down, but she did. But you know, in the end, you know they're going to be friends, and they, you know, it was, but yeah, important. Young people need to see more than yeah, other stuff. Okay. Um, on hopes, Rihanna, Lupita. Oh God. <laughs> Issa Rae and, and Ava, Ava Duvernay. Like that that film. I don't know if people know about this film that may emerge because of Black Twitter. There was a picture of <laughs> Lupita and Rihanna. Um, and front and row at a run yeah, uh, fashion show. At a catwalk and, and Rihanna just looks like a gangster. <laughs> and Lupita is I think she's wearing glasses and she looks quite prim and proper. So Black Twitter just kind of devised this whole story <laughs> around she's the gangster that is conning people and Lupita's the brains behind yeah. it. But the joke is, Lupita was like, who's down for it? And I think it's rumoured that Issa Rae it, might yeah, be in right. talks writing it. about writing it. So it could and be. And Ava DuVernay's direction. So yeah, in terms of like future in the future. What? Sickening. Oh, so actually, be but so because talking about that and the, the power of digital media and, and the internet, to kind of challenge what cinema has failed to do. Mm. Do you think that's where hope lies? That digital filmmakers and, and the internet, they those are. platforms are going to be the revolutionary spaces for radical filmmaking as opposed to conventional cinema as we've seen it. They're forcing the change, sorry yeah. to jump in. They are forcing the change. They're forcing, and places like Netflix are forcing, uh, like widening the space and people are, now you've got British black creators saying, okay, we've done YouTube, YouTube's doing what it's doing. Now they're like, we're going to Netflix because going to the mainstream broadcasters is a challenge. And then you get people saying, we don't know how to push your stuff out unless you've got, I know creatives that have had wonderful, rich black content and they've been told, this isn't believable. Can we throw some, you know, we wouldn't have these 
guys with they'd had white girlfriends and stuff like that change the narrative it doesn't fit what we want so they're finding other ways go to netflix go to youtube use a digital space it's going to inform you know even with the oscars now and the academies and bafta like adding more members to try and change that which is a good thing it depends if they're scared or if they're fearless okay all right we've got about 10 minutes remaining but i just wanted to to ask if anyone had any questions observations offerings regarding the film or Thoughts anything we've discussed hopefully jennifer at the back there can i just say something about jennifer she's the founder of a film festival called women of the lens which is starting in november launching in november so please look out for it. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't realise that uh, the film um, and the reasons for the marketing are absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. And I didn't think I could be even more disgusted than I am, than I am now. Um, because it's an indictment of the industry that they don't know how to market a film like that. Because what happens is there's a storytelling after the film is made. So you've got your marketing, your PR, and your promotion. And these particular industries are very similarly spaced to the film industry making system. So it's primarily white male or, or, or uh, white women. And so, you, so when they are presented with a film like Second Coming, it's, it's, any wonder, it's no wonder they don't know how to market it. But it doesn't matter that you don't know how to market go and find people who do, <laughs> because there are people who do. I've seen it for the, this is the second time I've seen this film, and I've just realized, this is how you would do it. This is a woman's <laughs> film. And that's the reason why perhaps they couldn't do it, because the lead character is a black woman. And when was the last time that we saw in this country a black woman as a lead in a film opening a film like We've never, mm. I think it would have been Burning and Illusion. Illusion, yeah, yeah. 1982. It would have been Burning and Illusion. That's the one, that's or the only Fortune. one I can see. Or maybe Secrets and Lies. With I mean, Marianne Jean Baptiste. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she got the nomination. She, she didn't get, get the nomination. nomination. No. Yeah? So that's what you can do. You will package her. And this is, this is around motherhood, reproduction, and the tyranny of that. Mm. Mm. That's how I would do it. And then, of course, it's about family uh, and friendships. Um, but the other difficulty that they would have had is because there's Idris Elba. So there's, there's this great big shining light, and of course, all of the things that Idris Elba is and that he brings to the film. But actually, you've got to kind of put him to the back because it's not about him. And he it, it is about him, but it's not about him. You, because you can't then market the film if you make him
that there was that kind of rebellion against it. And that's why, as you were saying, Akua, you know, she was perhaps rebelling against that so much that she couldn't speak because it, to do so would all those ideas that her mother, her father, her sister, her son had about her would have just fallen apart. So uh, that's my contribution to it. But I just think that, you know, to think that you, um, a film like that, you can't market, that's an indictment of the endemic, the systemic um, uh, inequality. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Anybody else like to? So, just to add to the lovely lady what she was saying, I don't think it's a thing where they don't know how to market. I think it's the placebo of we're going to let you think that we don't know how to market. Mm -hmm. If you look at advertisement day to day, they know how to map things mm -hmm. out. Look at right now, I think BET and another enterprise is looking into Black Twitter because they know the power that we have, mm -hmm. what we haven't noticed in ourselves yet because we just use it for entertainment purposes. Mm -hmm. I think for my generation, I'm 20 years old by the way. Um, there's a narrative being told that in order to be high society or to be looked upon as a black individual in a good light, you have to be either money orientated, be about image and literally forget who you are or who your integrity as, as a black individual. And it's driven by money over love, money over friendship. And then now we look to Hollywood and films, so stuff like, um, Real Housewives of Atlanta, Love and Hip Hop, and it's pumped even, the na the soundtrack is in the music. So wherever you look, it's being there. That's why, like you are saying, the new black filmmakers of today that are coming out, they kind of still play that narrative of the light-skinned female. But it's, we, in a way, we can't blame them because they've been conditioned mm -hmm. to think in this way, if you understand what I'm saying. So my thing, what I've realised is, as you say, my dear, this film's not for Hollywood because it's too real. Hollywood likes to airbrush to make the dark light. This is dark, rich, and beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's great now where it's coming out for the digital world because mm -hmm. now that young filmmakers and want to tell a story, this film, I would say, I was sitting in my seat. I didn't even have you beside me. I was sitting in my seat and I said, "Oh my gosh, this is so real." Like I was saying, "This is the first time I've seen it." This is the first time I've seen it, and I was saying, "Had you heard of it before?" Sorry. No. And the thing is, I was saying, "Wait," because I was, I was starting and it said it said week one, and I thought. Was it week one or week when she first? Week eight. Sorry, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I was thinking now of week eleven. I took out one of the ones. That's it. Week eight, and I thought, what's this film called? And I was watching. I like to know what a film's called because it gives me an idea. But when I saw the love, when I saw Idris Elba walk in, like you said, I've been conditioned to think a black man in a bad way. So when I didn't see his dad at home from the get go, then I just see this jacket and the deep voice. I'm thinking dark character just entered the room, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> then, you know what I mean, then a do-rag and whatever, it's little things like, I wear a do-rag in my house. But I see a do-rag on another black male and I look at him like, right, you're fishy, you know, there's something <laughs> spooky about you. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, like, I would normally think that I'm woke, but maybe they've got into me in a way that I haven't noticed it. <laughs> and it was literally seeing it and then seeing the rapport that he has with his son. And I'm not gonna lie, like, I have a rapport like, with my brothers and my sisters and the the relationship I have with my father, I sat down and cried in front of him and spoke to him like, in my 20 years, I don't think I know you because there's a relationship that we have where we don't speak even though we're in the same house. And it's like, you're right, son, you're right, dad, boom. There's not that, how am I supposed to love a woman? How am I supposed to act in certain situations? How am I? There's, a, there's a, 
And maybe it's because my grandfather, so I have 15 uncles and aunties, most of them are half brothers and sisters, but my dad was the first, so he didn't know his dad. And I've spoken to him, even though I'm younger than him, understanding my pain and accepting it. I've spoken to my dad and said, he's even told me I may not know how to be a father, but I just have to try. Mm -hmm. And it's now thinking in order to be a man, you can't embrace your emotional side. That seeing this film, I said, why has no one seen this? Why is this not out there? Because it's so real. Even down to sorry, sorry. No, no, don't even down to seeing the Caribbean family sitting down. I said, oh my gosh, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this is real. This is real. Even down to, and it was think, even when the sister walked in, my mind was conditioned to think, right, they're having pasta at home. Don't tell me he's gonna sleep. I'm thinking soul food, like you know when the cousin from wherever comes. I'm thinking. Is he going to sleep with her? No, don't do that. Don't do that. And it was so real to the point, I've seen sex on telly and I don't flinch. I saw the, 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 the parents kissing on the... They don't kiss They're just Intimacy. looking at each other. When she slit her wrist, because the silence was killing me. That's the yes. one thing. I, being a young filmmaker and stuff, I know when things are put in there for a reason, but it was like, why is the silence here throughout? Like, it's hurting me. I'm thinking, if I close my eyes, am I going to go to sleep? I was like, no, nah, there's something here. There's something here. <laughs> and it's like, every time silence came, you was greeted by this, this noir, this bounce of, ooh, the impact. Like the silence where they're holding the bird, then she broke the wing. Mm -hmm. the, the bathroom scene where she's washing her hand, and then you see... The, the best friend and the slight part, and then it's like, F you, boom. Oh, wow, okay, we're in this. And it's like, even down to my mum and certain things that have happened in my family, like, this story is my life, literally. And I feel like I'm JJ, like I've experienced this. Mm -hmm. I have six brothers and sisters, four brothers and sisters, but I've seen this down to, right, I'm going to share something with you lot, with family now. Okay. <laughs> For disclosure, this is being recorded. Yeah, that's fine, that's okay. fine, that's fine. <laughs> None of my brothers and sisters were planned. Me and my parents have spoken about this. We're all happy with this. And my youngest brother, the baby brother, he's still a baby, he's three years old, Azari. My mum spoke to me and my older sister how she didn't know how the family would take her being pregnant again and she's not married. She said she even was contemplating having an abortion and she sat in the NHS clinic and she cried. And she was thinking, am I literally going to take my, like, my, my baby brother's life? And she said, I came home and I couldn't do it. And that's the day that she told us, we're going to have another baby. And from that day, we found out he's going to be due in December. And we kept calling, I said, mom, his name's December. We're going to call him. That's what his name was until we thought what to call him. He was born December 25th, right. Christmas morning. Right. And it's like... That's my birthday. And the same how you say it's Jesus. How the, the second coming, and it's like... My baby brother was not a mistake, he's a blessing. Yeah. And from him, my family's been closer together now than we ever have been. And it's the fact that even when she slit her wrist and I said, black women sometimes, they put up this defense where the, the, the curse that they're bearing, the cancer that's inside is manifesting inside them. Because we lock it off, sometimes in our own lives, it comes up from the inside and there's an exterior in our household and we don't see it. And to the point where she broke down and literally almost was ready to take her life. And it's from that that the seed grew that gave her a rebirth, her resilience. And this is seen when I saw her sitting down next to Mark 
I said, black women are resilient. Right. It's in that, that I saw the resilience. That's what I'm saying. You see, black filmmakers, black women, black men that are coming out now. Oh, this is our time, man. Mm -hmm. This is our time. Can I ask you if um, you were to say, friends, watch this, would they watch it? Would it be hard to convince anyone to watch it, your, your peers? Right, so that's why I have the camera with me. I have a vlog. I have a vlog, and it's how to get into the industry and stuff. Find me, guys. Ask keys, like ask Jeeves. Just take the J up, <laughs> or a K, and L. Cool. Right. <laughs> What's your name? Um, Clavel. Well, they Clavel. call me Cleves. And it's the Ask for Answers network. So ask for an answer, and mm. if I don't know, I'll get back at you. That's how it goes. But, um, Can I just say one thing, Jan? On your film festival, um, last, no, 2014, we had a full house on opening night for this film. Yeah. Where did it go wrong? The house was packed. People were standing. How is it that they couldn't sell it? It wasn't marketed. It's the, yeah, they stopped there. It right. wasn't marketed. This is what we need to do. We have a youth development team. Because as the age gets older, we're losing contact with the youth of my generation. We don't know. I know so many people that would have come to this film today. Mm -hmm. And me okay. telling them will literally... It won't even tip the iceberg. It won't even melt and, and so drip. I think that's the point, because you feel, you feel like you, it'd be hard to explain. If I say to someone, come, you need to see this film second coming. Maybe through my vlog and the clientele that people... Not like the fan base that I have, people might be like, alright, cool. But a trailer needs to get put out. We need to we need to hit up vloggers and new social media like we need to get the people that are making. So you got motor comedian, you got you got these people that are doing things that we invite them, invite them, and then we say right, put this out there. And when people see this now, like we said, Black Twitter is powerful. In a day, this will go global, and it will be like, where did this come from? I want to actually touch on something that you've just said, and we were supposed to have the curator of the Unbound season here, unfortunately she couldn't be here. Um, in terms of what you've said about how a younger generation can connect and actually force a revival of a film, I don't know if you've heard of the film Daughters of the Dust by mm -hmm. Julie Dash. It's a really kind of iconic film that it's was on released Netflix in the now. early 90s. It's, it's on Netflix now, but it's still showing here, so <laughs> please see it here if you can. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to make it accessible. But I, I reference it because it really is the foundational inspiration for Beyonce's Lemonade video. And the cinematographer who worked on that film, Arthur Jaffa, who was then married to the director of the film, Julie Dash, also shot elements of Beyonce's Lemonade film. And the viral aspect of Beyonce's Lemonade film in some way influenced a revived interest in Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust. Subsequently, the film was remastered and re-released this month this very month, and it really is the foundation for this Unbound. David, is that fair, fair statement? Yeah. It's the foundation for this entire season, because I think the re-release of that season kind of inspired BFI to look at other works by black female filmmakers that sit within that kind of canon of independent filmmaking and, and perspectives that we really get to see. So it's just a touch upon the power that of, of, of your generation in particular, I'm a bit older than you, kind, kind of engaging with this work and, and finding new audiences. And I think with the failures of existing kind of traditional marketing, that will be on you guys to do that so that we don't miss these things or so that they don't live in archives and no one gets to see mm. this kind of work. Thank you, though, for everything yeah. that you have said. Thank, no, Can we please thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> Did anyone have any, just, to, I think we're closing, closing shortly, so just a quick, quick remarks. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I totally agree with everything the Young King said, like, it's ridiculous. But one, one thing I'd like to agree on is that I feel that what you said earlier, it's not that it can't be marketed, 
it's not nasty. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think, even though I look at it from a point of view of uh, I'm upset about that, I'm actually looking at it from a point of this is an opportunity for us to actually come together and create something for mm-hmm. us. Because really, realistically, I'm a director myself, as another director. We work on different. We have a lot of our own platforms as well. Work with the color network as well. There's loads of different people that's out there doing something. We should be able to put this out ourselves because mm-hmm. I know it touched me from a point of view, from a male perspective as well, seeing the family, seeing everything, because I was very close to my heart, it's something that I promote with myself and my family as well. I feel like this is something our generation needs to be able to be seen. And yeah, I feel like it's an opportunity for us to be able to do that right now, especially like we said through digital media, through our social media, through our social platforms. So if there is any kind of way that we can come together and be able to promote that, I'll be happy, more than happy to be able to do that. Wonderful, I think, what's it? I've got a good question, I'd love to like, reiterate everything that's pretty much been said thus far. I work in, in theatre and I love film and I love stories and it's a beautiful thing for me to see a story like this being put in a film and I felt, for me it was really interesting, I felt like it was a, a theatre production that was put on stage because it was very focal. It wasn't kind of, a lot of films kind of go all over the place and they kind of deal with lots of different things but it was very focal, it was very specific and it was quite enjoyable to enjoy the specificity of the film of you know going through a very clear line of a story. Um, and I also wanted to ask, when is Daughters of the Dust being played? Because when I looked online, it's not being advertised anymore. Is it? The, yeah, the season, unfortunately, this is the final event, I think, of this season. It ran throughout June, so I don't know if it's still in the screens here. If it's not, though, it's on Netflix. Can I say, Caramel yeah. Film Club will be screening it in August. Yes. So look out for it. At the I run something called Caramel Film Club. So the whole kind of idea and strategy is to support black actors and black directors. Um, we do mainstream films, but we do independent films as well. So there's a whole thing about opening weekends. So usually if there's a black film and opening weekend, mm-hmm. what happens is we book out a screen and we go and have a good time. Um, so like Get Out, it was for I'm Not Your Negro, those types of films. So we'll be screening... Um, Daughters of the Dust in August and which date? Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember off head because we've got a really full July because we're doing Girls Trip. Um, my work's being screened. There's lots of stuff going on, so my dates aren't there. But if you go to caramelfilmclub.com, you will see all of the information that you need to see. And after having seen this, we have to screen second mm-hmm. couple. We're well. going to put this yeah. up as a podcast, so then I'll put all the links for yeah. everything as yeah. well <coughs> on the British Blacklist. Okay. Um, so. The British blacklist, so. Yeah. Um, our, I think, I don't know if our contacts are up on the BFI, but there's an event page. There is an event page, yeah. which um, it will disappear after tonight. Uh, so okay. we'll, we'll, you're fine. On behalf of Black Cultural Archives, if you click onto the Black Cultural Archives page on Facebook, you will find everybody's contacts there. Mm-hmm. If you see independent work, interesting work that you think we should be programming, please us. tweet us and let us know so that we can actually do this continue to do this work. Somebody had a last point, I think. Mm-hmm. Hi. You have to stick with me here. <laughs> I have a film from a different perspective from, and I appreciate that I came late, so I may have missed that content. I saw the movie from a different perspective. Now, I enjoyed the movie, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed all the scenes. When, like Young Ran said at the front, when I first saw Idris come in, I thought, all right, he was just a baby father that was just gonna come in and he just stepped in, he's going to say hi to his son and he's going to him. Not the fact that he was a full-time father. I get the parenthood, the relationship, they had this difficult relationship, but they stuck through it, etc. Um, long story short, there's three female, um, 
screws that screen nut in. And this movie, it has to be screened to a wider audience. I think it's a bit too ahead of its time, I'll tell you why. There are very negative portrayals of black females. And I was just thinking about it in terms of if I were to sit down with my colleagues at work, particularly with a white lady, and what you're seeing is, so don't take this as a negative criticism. <laughs> so you've got two black ladies and they, you know, they're working at ESS. And then you've got the sister that comes along. And, you know, the two sisters have this thing. She works part-time. She doesn't seem to have much of a career. She doesn't seem to have much of a focus. I think looking at those three black females, I don't think it does us any good in that respect. I think in terms of like family life and like all the, grand, the grandfather and the grandparents are brilliant and like seeing them all sit down and food and stuff. I think what we need first is to have more positive black female roles in terms of where else we are, what else we do. And then when you start to see, when you start to see a film like The Second Coming come later on, then the stereotypes are gone. Am I making sense to anyone? Absolutely. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, sorry about this. I, I definitely get what you're saying, but in a way, I think it's because you're because you're looking at this film as the film to be the antivirus to change all of that, but in a way, the narrative of black women in a bad way is already being put out. I know. You know what I mean? So, in a way, maybe this is the best to be the first one because it's slowly changing it in a way where, like they said, if it's a film where black women are portrayed in a good light straight away, it's not realistic. What's yeah. bad? I, I, I don't know if I'm getting it. Because they're, they're, they're a working class family. Is that the problem? Maybe is the wrong word. Uh, I, just, I started watching the movie and I saw all, I saw, you know, they're not on a council estate. They're, 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 a work, they're a hard working family. You know, you're linked to your wider family, etc. It was just... They're not the professionals. Is that the problem? That's a small, very minor thing. Part of it was the way, you know, we black people have a way of talking. Fair enough. But it's the way that the, the sisters were talking. I can see how, if you look at it from an outside perspective, how it would come across as aggressive. Can That's I say? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What you're proposing, would you rather that at the expense of realness and authenticity? Because no, that's no, what we all responded to. No, no, what I'm saying is, I feel like. I'm not in the film industry or anything. I can only go by the movies that I've seen. Mm. I feel like. You can't bring the realness until you kind of show that black people, there's, there's many, many different dimensions to black people. Black people are all over the place. We do different jobs, we do different things. Can you show and all that in one film, though? No, 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 you can't. I'm just, I'm just saying, in terms of, you know, we were talking about promoting the movie, etc. And I feel like if the movie had gone to a wider audience, bearing in mind where we are in society now, I think most of the things that we pick up on now, and like the the key positive themes, I feel like all of that would have been missed. I think they would have picked up on the on the um, the obvious things. Like, okay, that's where they work. This is how they interact. I think we would have seen like the positive things with the families and the things that I've just talked about. But I think the, I think the main things that would have been taken from that is okay, this is what black women are like. I do think there's something quite kind of oppressive about that though. If, if we're constantly having to hide from I'm saying white society, I suppose I'm saying white society. Yeah. So if, you're, if you're constantly having to hide anything negative about yourself, you're basically allowing yourself to not being a fully realised or whole person. If we're not allowed to I, I be fully take to our sisters, or we're not allowed. You know, no, I fully take your point. Pattern, 
I think maybe what I'm saying then is maybe out of the three, or maybe if there's a fourth woman and then there was somebody somebody else that's a, that's a little bit different, kind of would have had a bit more... Wasn't the mum? Wasn't the mom, their mum? The mum's part of it. Yeah, yeah but see, I found, I found that the, the way she talked, the way they had that argument, it made the way she attacked Idris out of love for her sister all the more powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I so it, it kind of... Mm. It, it, to, to, to show that, it just to me, it just showed the rage of their relationship. Yeah, you every sibling, that's not a racial thing, every sibling argues, but the way she she chewed Idris alive at the, at, at the end, out, that was out of love, that was one of the most loving moments of the film for me, so. I completely get that, sorry to interject. I'm just looking at it from commercial viability. Not from, yeah, not yeah. from our perspective, and I'll tell you why, because I work with a lot of white people who do lots of different things, and like you might be in the office and you might say something and somebody that you might say to another colleague, they won't take it one way, but they'll take it another way. You know, you talk to somebody else from a different background and they take it another way. This is the perspective that I'm looking at it from. I feel like we should be fearless, like you said earlier, fearless, because this film is clearly showing something from our perspective. It shows it through the lens of obviously the director. So it should be, we should be as fearless as possible. You're not alone in your thinking, yeah. sorry. We, we don't yeah. have like sorry, five, <laughs> five minutes <laughs> max. Yeah. I wanted to let people just, because you've, you've made no, the main I, I, point. I qualify everything I've just said. But you don't need to, because you're absolutely right. That's what I'm saying, you're, you're, you're not alone in your thinking. We just wanted to give somebody else a, a chance no, to reply. This, if you have this movie, and you have like the narrative that comes before it, afterwards to help kind of explain where we're coming from, I think that would help to clear it up. I think you need an explanation of the movie, not for a particular audience, but for a wider audience. That's my take. Could I just add something okay. to that? I think, I think she's saying there are different facets to a black woman, and they're not necessarily all explained in this film. What you get in this film is lots of aggression, and it ne- doesn't necessarily pan out that lots of black women are all that way. Yeah. But there are different facets which are not shown. And, you know, it would be nice to see those facets explained as well. Did, did you not see that in her? Like, from the laugh to the romance, the, the jokes, and then she was... But it wasn't an angry film. No, it wasn't. But there was... They had an the, argument. The, the, but then, if you watch, sorry to cut you, there are dramas, let's say white dramas, where so much happens, and there's all sorts of manic screeching, mm-hmm. the whole house is on fire, and everyone's shouting at each other, nah, but then... And this is the pressure that we put on ourselves that we have to be perfect yeah. or we have to be smiling and because yeah. that fourth woman, who would she? What would she be? Would she be the person that smiles? What would no. she have done to make you feel that again? She's showing that black because in that film we got a range of emotions. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing what you're saying because I guess it because you weren't. What I was trying to say is you weren't the only person. Because I remember actually after the screening there were people that were saying that it's an angry film, but I I didn't obviously see that. No, so you're no, justified I- in that, but. Who, what would that fourth woman have been? What would she have done? Who would, what she, would she have done to make you feel better? It's not about making me feel better. It's not about my perspective. I fully understood the film and I appreciate it. Yeah. It's about showing another dimension. So what woman would make the white people watching it feel like that then sh- clear their judgment, whatever judgment they would have anyway, taken from that? I'm going to say it anyway, but it's going to come out completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> go for it, go. <laughs>
But I think it's in terms of like when the lady was in the job centre and, and, yeah, and the woman comes in and she's like, Maddie. And, the, and, and, and then a friend says to her, Maddie, what kind of job is that? What kind of a name is that kind of thing? I think it's the, and again, I don't want to use the word attitude, but these are the words that, that are at the forefront of my mind. On you that note, respectfully, oh. we're going to wrap it up. That's what so happens. All the last time. word. It always last, happens. Yeah. With, it always we happens. Because with hardworking people, they've got to go home. home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have to. We have to close the space. One sentence. Very last sentence. Very quickly. You have to be quick. And I feel like one thing we need to understand is that films after this will get made. So even if there's not a story or a narrative that's not been told in this film, we can tell it in other films. Closing statement. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you very, very much. Before everyone does go, I just want to give a quick plug. We do have a monthly um, uh, strand that's called African Odysseys, which features films from Africa, but also diaspora, so all kind of Latin cinema. Um, 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 and we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of, of this trend um, in a couple of weekends' time, and we're showing a Brazilian film called Becerro, uh, the assailant, which is a biopic of a legendary capoeira fighter revolutionary from Brazil due to spirituality and martial arts to free his people, which sounds really amazing. It's one of the most popular films from the strand over the past 10 years, so it's going to be a really fun afternoon. That's on Saturday the 15th of July. Um, grab the July brush when you can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys.